You're listening to Core Stories. I'm Emily Bruff, Communications Director at Otter Creek Church. I was privileged to sit down with Dr. Joyce Harden back in the fall while she was here for a Korea Christian University board meeting. Many of you may or may not know that Otter Creek helped start Korea Christian University in the 1950s. Shortly thereafter, Otter Creek began to sponsor Joyce and her husband, Dan, as missionaries, and together they worked at KCU, where Joyce taught and Dan served as the first dean and eventually the president. During their nearly two decades in Korea, they were innovative, trailblazing, and really immersed themselves and their family in the culture And this really set precedent for missionaries around the world. Dr. Hardin is an author, notably writing Sojourners, Women with a Mission, and also Three Steps Behind. This is an account of their years in Korea. After their time in Korea, the Hardins returned to the U.S. and joined Lubbock Christian University. And Dr. Hardin was the first female academic dean in any of the Christian colleges of the Churches of Christ. And so I'm really excited to share Dr. Joyce Hardin's reflection of her time in Korea, the challenges raising third culture kids, and her contributions to the field of education and mission. I know you're really going to enjoy this. Thank you for listening. I'm Joyce Hardin. We actually went to Korea as missionaries in 1958. And uh, uh Otter Creek was already involved a little bit in the Korean work, helped provide the funds for Korea Christian University, which my husband began to work with almost immediately. I did as well in those early years. And so through the years, we we worked with cursed congregations as well, but, but primarily with Korea Christian University. So from 1958 to 1974, we came home in the last six or seven years that we were there, we were sponsored by Otter Creek. So we were there missionaries. And my husband was president of the school at that time. So so a lot of lot of history. Come to Nashville, I always feel kind of at home. And although I've never lived here, my husband was here two years and taught at Lipscomb before we met and, and married. And actually married between, uh, met between those two years and married after he left Lipscomb. So I think we were too young to really realize how what we were doing. Uh, actually, I, when we arrived in Korea, we'd been married a year. We had our first anniversary a week after we arrived. I was three months pregnant. So I had, uh, of course, uh, six months later, our first daughter, Mara, was uh, arrived. And nine months later, we adopted a Korean baby girl. Uh, newborn, t- about 10 days old, I guess, and weighed about five pounds. A pound of which I always say was hair. Uh, and then nine months later, we had another little girl. So we had three little girls in 18 months. And uh, and that was it for us. But, uh, well, I have a good marriage. I, I can't, I married a man who was a good man. And I miss him every day of my life. And uh, again, I think, uh, I think we were on the same page. I think uh, other, I think that would have been bad if, I'd wanted to be here, and he wanted to be there, uh, and uh, and he put his marriage first. I think that's I think that was the uh, key, and and we didn't always see that with Mary with uh, missionaries. Uh, Dan's priorities were first to God, second to his family, 
and third to his vocation. And I think that's how it has to be. And I think when you know that, then that marriage is, is strong. Uh, and uh, so I, I have no, I, I don't think we ever had a, my daughters say you fussed, but, but we never went to bed angry. And uh, uh, he was easy man to live with, and I'm probably not the easiest woman to live with, but, but, and he let me be me. And I, and I think that's very important. Uh, in, a, in a time when women were not allowed to be who they wanted to be. And Dan not only encouraged me, he pushed me. Uh, pushed me to get the, uh, helped me get the master's, pushed me to get the second degree, and and was the first one to call me Dr. Harden when I got the doctorate. And I had no idea what Korea was like. Korea, we, we were just a few years after the Korean War, and so survival was a lot of it, you know, finding things to eat and, and places to live. And uh, But it was an adventure. I, I, wouldn't, I don't regret a, a day of it. I, I wonder now why I wasn't scared to death. But I think I was just too, too young and naive to, to know I should have been scared. But, but it was it was a good time. I loved our life. We were there 17 years, involved in Korea, and uh, our girls went to Korean school. How was um, growing up there for your children? Was it in what ways was it formative? And well, of course, they didn't know any difference. So it, it happened. Kind of, uh, we did things differently because uh, uh, they have an American school that most children went to. And actually, I thought my children was, would go there. And, and my oldest daughter started uh, in a kindergarten there. They were nine months apart. We wanted them in three different grade levels. And to do that, one of them had to go a little earlier. And so she was going to be the one to start school a little early. And uh, But when it turned out, there was a child who belonged in the school that came back early and they could only have so many students in that grade, and she wasn't able to go. And, of course, you know, after you've gone to kindergarten a week, and then somebody says, you can't go anymore, it's pretty dramatic. And so I went home and to my good friend, uh, who was kind of a, uh, she was our landlady, actually, but she was also a mentor for me, a translator of Korean culture in many ways. And so I said to her, I've got to have a school by Monday. And she said, oh, no problem. And she took us to a Korean kindergarten, which, uh, and I'm an, a teacher, I'm an educator. I was a teacher in, in my career after coming back from Korea as a teacher educator. And I was blown away by the kindergarten. Beautiful, long, big building with open spaces, games, and four or five teachers. It was just uh, very much patterned after the Japanese kindergartens. And when we talked to them, they said, well, they would not only take Mara, but they would also take Dara and Dana. So all three of them started Korean kindergarten. And, uh, and then as they graduated, then they, my husband made the, asked me, why don't we send them to Korean school? Well, I wasn't too excited about that because I'm, you know, I was looking forward to having my kids be in the American schools that I knew all about. But he was pretty persuasive. I often think he gave me subliminal messages, but... But uh, we began to visit uh, schools, and we, the first one we saw was a, uh, a public school, and they, they had maybe 100 children in a classroom, three classes in a day. No way that we could have sent our, our little American child into that. Then we found a, a private school that had beautiful little cute uniforms and, 
and buses and all. But when we went to the school, they couldn't understand why we'd even consider it. And pretty much obvious, it was a fun make a school that made money. And so I kind of put the uh, idea aside, and then a friend came to me and said, "You need to try EY Women's University, which is the, at that time was the largest women's university in the world, uh, uh, begun by Methodist women, and uh, they had a teacher training school and they had a practice teaching school, and so they said, you need to go check this out. Well, I did." And uh, walked in the door, and the principal was a, uh, an educator had gone to uh, an American university, done postgraduate work at Columbia. We hit it off immediately. She said, I think we could offer something to your daughter because she could offer something to us. It would be a good experience. And so Mara started to, it was Iwa Busogunun Hakyo, which means Iwa Practice Teaching School. So she started that year, and then then Tara, Mara, then Dan, and then Mara, and then Tara, all three of them. And, uh, and then we got kind of famous because of that. <laughs> Somebody found out about it, and uh, when that little, our third one's a blonde, and found her in this school with uh, all the Koreans and said, what are you doing here? And she said, in perfect Korean, I go to school here, and so do my sisters. And so we became famous, and we were on TV, and we had newspapers written about us, and articles, and, and uh Got, someone stood up and gave me a seat on the bus because my children were going to grade school. So it was kind of a fun thing at the time, but it was really good for our kids. It was a, it was an excellent school. Uh, they don't remember any bad teachers. Uh, and uh, it was a beautiful experience. And uh, it was, we just, it was home for us. Still feel that way about Korea. Uh, those early years just uh, Finding the language, planning, play, learning about Korean culture. I've been talking to my son-in-law today about some of the things in, in Korean culture, uh, and then of course, uh, people over the years. Uh, I have one story that I, when I talk about Korea, I always end with about uh, a gift that we were given that I will never forget. Koreans are gift givers, and uh, it's part of the culture of kind of keeping things on an even keel. If you do something for someone, they'll often repay you by by with a gift or vice versa. If you invite people to your home, they're going to bring a gift because that's just the way the culture operates. And when we began to come home for the very last time, knowing that we were not going back to Korea, we got some of those gifts in very special ways. And one of them was a woman whose husband was on our, the faculty had helped build Korea Christian University. He was a, a linguist, uh, spoke about five or six different languages. And a little man had been thrown off of, of a uh, moving train, uh, escaping from the communists in North Korea. So his arm was, uh, uh, he was weak and his arm was, uh, one arm was useless. His wife, on the other hand, was taller than he was, a strong woman, beautiful black hair, and she could cook in every language he could read in, except English. She could, she didn't like American food, but she took cook Korean, Chinese, Russian, Japanese. She was an amazing cook. And for years, Whenever anybody in our family would have a birthday, she would show up at our gate uh, with perhaps a, a special ingredient, peppers or, or something, and, and come in, in my kitchen and create a Korean meal for us, which was really spectacular. And you can all imagine I always had the ingredients ready for her to do that. It was a beautiful gift. And when we came, we were coming home with the last time, she said to us, ah, this time you have to come to my home. 
Well, I knew what kind of meals she prepared and how expensive they were often and how little money they had. And I tried to resist that, but she insisted, no, this time you come to my house. And when we arrived uh, at her house uh, for this meal, the, our, the five of us, she met us at the gate with her Korean dress, white dress that signified I cooked this myself. Her hair, black hair, was tied up in a kerchief. And she met us at the gate, and we had the most beautiful meal. Things that I've, I had never eaten before and probably will never eat again in Korea. Just fantastic. But I almost couldn't enjoy it because I'm thinking, how much does this meal cost? And, and uh, how, uh, where, you know, what she could have done for her family with the amount of money. And where did the money come from? And when we got ready to leave, we walked to the gate, and she walked to the gate with us. And, and when we said goodbye, she bowed her head. And as she did, I can't do this but cry, her kerchief fell off of her head. And then I knew where she had gotten the money. She had sold her hair to provide that meal for us. So I can't talk about that without crying and uh, without thinking of that wonderful, sweet gift. And I don't think she was thanking the Hardens. I think this was her way of saying, thank you for bringing Jesus to Korea and for being part of our lives. But... So that's my favorite story. <laughs> we didn't know what uh, what God had in mind for us. And I think I heard my husband say one time, if they'd said, go out and cut grass, he would have gone out and cut grass. But the school uh, started, and we were both educators. And so that became, particularly for him, the focus. Although all the time we had uh, worked with churches, usually starting congregations in our home, and that would branch out into to congregations I visited. Not all of them are still existing, but there are two of them that are still sending out. And a beautiful thing, when I visited one of them not too many, a couple of years ago, the first thing they did was show me where the they were doing mission work in Malaysia because they knew that's what I would want to hear, that they were doing mission work. So uh, I remember the first time I taught a class at, at KCU when I first got there. It was just an institute, and there were only, we had a little room, and there were about 20 or seemed like there were more than seemed like 50, but I think it was probably about 25 young men, probably as old as I was and maybe older, and uh, uh, some of them. It was a terrible experience. <laughs> I hated it, and I said, I'm never teaching career, college again in my life. And, uh, of course, I started having babies, and, and we came home our first furlough and got master's, and when we went back, my husband said, thank you, need to teach at KCU. I said, I'm, not te- I'm a fourth-grade teacher. I'm not teaching you know, these college kids. Well, again, I found myself, you know, going to the school, and we started a religious education department, and uh, and I did teach and uh, uh, and loved it and uh, and did that for one whole tour, as well as my role, I did some different things. I, uh, I didn't have a hobby. I'm going to back up and tell you the story. I, I'm, I'm, when some people would say, what's your hobby? I'd say, you know, reading. I like to read. Well, my husband had multitudes. He's a magician. He was an artist. He uh, was a car carpenter. You, you can name it. He was very frustrated that I didn't have hobbies. And so I was looking at the newspaper once, and I saw an ad that said uh, flower arrangement classes. And I said, oh, I've always thought I'd like to do flower arrangement. Well, I'm on a bus signing up for that class hardly before I can um, quit breathing, and uh, and that really defined me. Uh, the class I was a woman who had started her own 
at that point just was teaching oriental flower arrangement, Korean flower arrangement, which is very much like the Japanese, except it's its own style. Started in a very small place in a department store. And then she uh, created her own school. And I was a charter member of that uh, organization. We had the first, uh, uh, we didn't have, we had shows that didn't get ribbons like we do here, but it was more an exhi exhibition. First one was in a, just a, uh, uh, I think it was a open little auditorium on wooden tables. The last one was at the Chosen Hotel with all the blow, uh, bells and whistles that you can imagine. So I saw that grow and was part of it. And uh, as a result, had a, an opportunity to meet and have tea with the wife of the president of Korea, which was very remarkable, a, a personal tea, and uh, served on um, her board for many years. And and uh, she's uh, uh, retired now. Uh, we have we share a birthday. She's, uh, I think, very close to not living very much longer. But uh, but that was a beautiful thing. And so as a result of that, I was I served as a president of the Women International Women's Association, the first missionary who did that, and uh, was a part of a garden club, which was a when we say garden club, we think of anybody can join. But in Seoul, that was not true. There was only about 30 members, mostly ambassadors' wives, and a very few Americans, and so it's part of that. And uh, so that was a, and did a lot of my second, if I had to say, if anybody said to me, um, is there a part of life you would live over? I would take our second tour in Korea and say, give me those five years again. It was, my children were enjoying school, things were going well with the school. I was having the time of my life in many ways, and uh, it was it was very, very much a, and I and I saw that as an outreach because when people uh, saw me or talked to me, they knew that I was with the Church of Christ and that I was there as a missionary. And uh, uh, as I was on TV, that was how I was introduced. And so it was, it was an exciting time. And uh, I think uh, people saw us as not just uh, the poor missionary, but as people who were part of Korea and Korean culture. So, that's remarkable. Again, that's probably more than you wanted to know. No, that's remarkable because I think a lot of times that's that's the hard part of being a missionary yeah. is to be in the culture fully, to gain the trust of the people. And to want to know and to want to be there and to want that. You know, uh, I think people will often talk about the sacrifice that missionaries make. Well, we make a sacrifice. I think that the main one is not being close to your family, which is not true now. For missionaries, that's communication is much easier. But in those days, it was very hard. So that was a sacrifice. But other than that, I wouldn't trade anything in our life. Uh, it was good. It was a good life, and I loved it. And I loved being in Korea and loved doing the things I did and loved sharing that story with other people. So, is there any um, moment that you had? that was in a dark place, that was hard, that you really saw God show up, that, um, that revealed a promise to you that that you carry with you? I think probably more since then than in Korea. Uh, you know, now, uh, about five years ago, six years ago, I got back involved in Korea and with the, the university. And, and, and that hasn't been as pleasant. I mean, it's been fun being back in Korea 
and renewing those relationships. But but uh, some of the things have been pretty dark and uh, and and not good in terms of the school and people who want uh, access to the school not for for the good of the school but for the what can, they can get out of it. And that's been depressing and it's been hard. And I've spent a lot of time in prayer about that. Our meeting that we're going to have this afternoon is part of that that process. And uh, uh, I think, uh, and I, I don't know how to say this exactly, I think in those early years, uh, we lived in a little bit of a threat of a, a war. You know, there it was, it's, there was an armistice in, uh, between North and South Korea, but no, no surrender and, or no peace. And so at any time, there could be a war again. And I see that now. I, when it, anything in the newspaper or news that says Korea, I, I zero in on it really quickly because I'm, that's, that's, that's frightening and it's still. And I, and I think about what God has done in South Korea a lot of it because I, I think because they truly uh, embraced Christianity in many ways. And I think they're, that's, as they've become so affluent, like um, other countries like America, they're less interested in that as they were. So, uh, I, and I, I think we spent a lot of time think, in those early years thinking of, of, pray, of praying that, that things would be in, in peace. And when you knew that they were, shooting in North Korea, and we were only 30 minutes from there or whatever. But uh, uh, I think I've think i always felt that God was there, always for us, and and, uh, uh, and that we were part of his mission as well as he was part of our mission. Uh, when we came back from Korea, uh, our generation of missionaries... Uh, I kind of think of us as the second generation. After World, uh, before World War II, there were people who went to Africa and South America and a few of those places, and some to Asia. Uh, and then after World War II, we had sort of a uh, an emphasis in Italy and Germany and those kind of things. So that those were the first generation, and then came ours. And uh, and we went out without much training. I mean, we didn't know. I'd never had a mission training class. Didn't, hadn't learned the language of Korea. And so uh, we, we learned a lot about missions. And, uh, and as we came back, uh, we began, the Churches of Christ began to have classes in missions and degrees in missions at our universities. And so we became part of that. We taught, uh, my husband and I both taught classes in missions. I did, of course, The Missionary Woman. I wrote a book called Sojourners, and I tried to get away from Missionary Woman, but want to call us sojourners instead of missionaries because it sometimes has a negative connotation but I haven't I didn't succeed in that one but uh, and then he wrote a couple of books on on missions one on team missions and one on church sponsored missions so uh, we did that at uh, spent two years in, as missionaries in residence at Abilene Christian and then moved to Lubbock Christian uh, and Dan was the uh, hired at the, in the Bible department to, to create a mission uh, uh, emphasis. And I was supposed to teach some missions, but I ended up all in education and taught occasional class in missions, but mostly did teacher education. And I uh, retired as the dean of the College of Education. He was actually retired as academic vice president. So we spent almost 25 years at Love Christian. 
Uh, but in the meantime, we were very involved in missions. We, we uh, helped train teams. Uh, I think the most effective mission work we probably did was to train a team that went into to uh, Kenya and uh, did con- converted thousands of people, and that's they were sort of our sort of our children, and we really uh, love that team. We helped with teams in in uh, Europe and uh, some in South America. Did a lot of of work with that. Did some evaluation of, of ongoing work. Uh, uh, and of course did some recruiting uh, with missions and uh, so it's always been a part of our, our lives even moving as we retired and came to went moved to Austin I've been on the mission team uh, since uh, in fact I just stepped off last year I thought it was time to, to step off I've served on the uh, the board of the mission resource network for the from the it's second, well, we helped get it started. We were in the me- original meetings, and then I've been on the board member from the second year until last year. So, uh, so missions is just, it wasn't something we left when we left Korea, and hopefully uh, have helped others be more uh, trained and more, know what they're getting into more than we did. So, uh, it's been a very important part of our lives. Often we talk about Teams, and I think that's been a change. We see teams and we see couples. And I think in our day, we we sort of pitched, you know, if you hire a missionary, you're hiring the wife as well. But that wasn't really true. It was the man who was the missionary. When they write about the history of Korea, uh, and they've done some writing about that, and and when you look at it, there's no nothing about women in there. And yet, and yet, without us, I think our men could not have done what they did. And there, and and most every one of us, of, of us have had our own ministry in different kind of ways, and uh, and I, I hope that's changing. I think that uh, the woman, if if she's not happy and not willing to be part of the team, it's probably not going to last very long, anyway. But I think women have not really been recognized as the contributors as they should be, and we've had some single missionaries that have been phenomenal and uh, I think that needs to oh, I hope we are doing a better job of recognizing that and seeing their, the value of that and the family you know the, uh, the generation my generation a lot of them didn't know we didn't know about third culture kids and I think there were as some of those children came back to the states particularly males I think more than girls in the, the family had some very difficult times. We've seen law left the church, uh, gone into uh, addictions, and just some terrible stories and sad stories. And uh, you know, they used to tell me uh, our, the man who recruited us, re- recruited us, Haskell Cheshire, would say, "Well, you know, preachers' kids have problems, but missionary kids have always done really well." So I had that in the back of my mind all those years. But that wasn't really true. Third culture kids have are difficult, and uh, I think we're learning how to handle handle that. Um, we have some programs that I think help those kids coming back and making the transition back into our culture. And uh, so I think I think being a missionary in today's society is much easier, and because I think we're helping prepare and support, and both while they're there and as they come home. So that's that's encouraging for me. So.
I've worked with uh, the group in Oklahoma Christian that's done the, the third culture camp. I've not uh, first. Uh, I've actually worked with parents that have uh, that they're there with their kids, but but I'm so impressed with the third culture dealing with their culture kids because that's what I've got. And uh, in fact, my daughter reminds me every once in a while they're uh, they're adult third culture kids that you never get over that really because you there's just you're not really here and you're not really there. So it's a, and you find your own place. And I think it's a very unique place and one that gives them, I think, some tremendous advantages. Uh, but it's it's been difficult in some in some ways for many missionary children. So my middle daughter is a is Korean, and uh, and she said said to me this last year that uh, and she never said that before. She was visiting actually came while I was in Korea and spent some time there with her husband. And uh, she said, you know, when I'm in Korea, uh, people see me as being American. I'm not totally Korean. In America, they see me as Korean and not totally American. So, so she said, I I don't really find, I'm, I'm not really there in either culture. I mean, she wasn't complaining or anything, just stating a fact. And and she, that's more obvious to her because of her her uh, race. But uh, the others, I think, feel it a little bit the same way. So, By the way, we have second-generation missionaries. My oldest daughter and her husband, uh, Lynn, who's here, were vocational missionaries in, in American Samoa for 20 years. And then uh, 10 years into their time, my second daughter and her husband went over as full-time missionaries, and they're still in American Samoa. My youngest daughter uh, spent two years in, in Chile as a missionary apprentice, and has been she and her husband have been very active in short-term missions. They've been to Angola. Angola. He's been there twice, and she's been once supporting our missionaries there. So... So we're, and then my, I have one grandson who's a, uh, working in uh, churches in California and another one who is a, a worship leader, song leader in the Dallas church. So we're kind of into that next generation. So pleased with our mission family. But it was hard, you know, I'm sure probably harder than I realized at the time that they were things that they, you know, they've never been to a football game. If you've been in Texas and you've never been to a football game, it's kind of a weird thing. And as teenagers, they had to find their their place. They have some funny stories. And uh, I think our it was hardest on my Korean daughter uh, because uh, she was in a uh, school with, she was the only Oriental there. And, and uh, she'd been paralyzed in her left side for some reason anyway. And so she had some fainting episodes that, the doctors never said it had to do with reverse culture shock. I thought it did to some extent, the pressure that she was probably under. She got over that and had five kids, so she's doing fine. And she's the missionary in South in American Samoa. So they, you know, they, uh, but, and they're women who think for themselves and, and, uh, uh, and don't think exactly like other people. And I'm proud of that. Two of them were uh, ninth graders and one tenth grader, so we came back when they were teenagers. Yeah, and that's a time, kind of a tough time. The pictures that she that he had downstairs, they were that was when we were in Stillwater. Dan was getting his doctorate, and I, we, we were all in. We had a woman getting a master's, and I I ended up with an education specialist degree at that time in 
Dan was a doctor. And they went they went to elementary school, so those were good years for us. And I think I, I like the discipling movement that we're seeing so much of because I think that's teaching people to teach others, which by the way is the motto of Career Christian University, Second Timothy two two, teaching others teaching faithful men to teach others. And uh and I think we've done that to some extent. I think we need to keep doing that. But I think if you don't have that that passion for lost souls, then missions is not going to work. I think we get a little too caught up in uh is it the, the country fit to us or you know, uh people I know made survey to four or five countries before they decide or don't decide at all. Uh, it's a good way to see the world, but it's not good missions. I I don't know. I, I like to see the training, and I think we're backing off a little bit on the kind of training we're doing. I think uh, uh, knowing of the culture and knowing about the culture is so critical. I don't, you can have passion, but if you don't get into that culture and Understand what they're gonna, what they're gonna interpret the gospel as being, then it's it's gonna be kind of lost, I think. So, culture and language, and language is my weakness, by the way. I will confess to you, I don't hear like hear sounds very well. If it's a if I can see it and verb, then I'm fine. But uh, uh, so Korean language was very difficult for me, and I there was never a time where there was no schools. Uh, so it was never a time where I could go to class, and I'm I'm a school person. I work best in a classroom setting, and uh, and so I've always apologized for my language abilities. Going back to Korea, I found I knew more than I thought I knew, and sometimes words would come or sentences. I think, oh, I didn't, I don't know, I could say that, but there it is. And uh, so, but that's been a weak part, and I think we've got we've that we've got to emphasize that. Uh, languages, although English is really becoming kind of an international language, but still I think it's important to, to know the heart of the heart of people, you have to know the heart of their language. After retirement I uh we moved to uh to near Austin and uh Dan started painting. He's an excellent artist and uh painting seriously and uh, uh doing so he had rheumatoid arthritis and it was in remission. Helped build us a house, and this is a really exciting time. Good time, didn't last long enough. He six years, and, uh, and during that time, I was uh, uh, executive director for the deans of colleges of education in the state of Texas. Did that for ten years, and did some legislative work, and I was the go-to person for teacher ed in Texas. And after ten years, I'd been away from actually the teacher ed's part, so I decided it was time for somebody else to do that. So I step down from that position. So I've had kind of a diff, little different career. So, of course, I, I love that part of my of my life, and it's been very rewarding. And, and of course, the interesting thing is that after I ret- left LCU, missions and education kind of uh, dovetail because Mission Resource Network asked me if I would coordinate their uh, mission education. And uh, as a result, I, I had done some curriculum writing. Curriculum is my curriculum in education; it's my doctorate. And uh, and so I've I've written missions curriculum, and that's been very rewarding. <laughs> and uh, I, I've actually written. Uh, we first did a, a curriculum, uh, a, a eighteen week series 
my daughter that's in, in Samoa did the preschool, and I did the elementary, and and then coordinated hers with mine, and so it was published through Sweet Publishing Company, and then I did one for uh, young adults or people going on mission trips, uh, and then I did a, an adult series. My husband and I did an adult series that's online at Mission Resource Network, and then I've written just basic curriculum. Uh, the first one I did was uh, years ago a uh, missions curriculum through Sweet Publishing Company. And then I've done one, what I, what I think is my best work, uh, called Dare to, be Dif- uh, Dare to Be Different. And it's uh, written for basically just preteens on uh, things that we usually deal with teenagers, but it's a little bit too late. <laughs> and uh, uh, it's it, using higher thinking skills or whatever. And that's my favorite thing. That I've got. But I love mission, too. Our, our lessons I did with my daughter, we took... Uh, uh, 13 weeks, uh, so 12, the 13 week series, I said too long, back to teaching ed. Uh, and 12 of those weeks, we did a different country every week, and we did, uh, everything had to do with missions. We had a Bible story that they told us we had to use. So they said, can you use these? We have to, you have this particular curriculum. So I said, everything for the Bible's mission, we can do that. I can make missions out of everything. But then we took a country and we had we had uh, uh, learning centers and very simple that had to do with the country. For example, Russia, we'd we would have a usually something having to do with the country, whether it would be population or location or whatever. Uh, usually a, fo- a food center, as kids like to eat, and uh, a game or an activity, and then the fourth one, whatever, fit in with the the country. So, uh, and then kids would. Go through it, and they were very simply done, so people didn't have to have, spend hours on locating the materials or whatever. Uh, but they got a feel for the country, so it's a fun series. It's really fun to, for people to teach. So, and uh, to finish the story, uh, after we left Korea, we uh, didn't go back as a family until after my husband passed away, and a Korean friend gave uh, the four of us a trip back to Korea. And so my first time my girls had gone back, almost 30 years uh, after they had left that Korean school, we the first thing they wanted to do was to visit their school. So we walked in to this school, and there were where the teachers were working. There were two women there. And my oldest daughter said, when they looked up, we went to school. Before she got here, the woman stood up and said, Ha Mara, Ha Dana, Ha Tara. And after 33 years, they she rushed out, got the principal, brought them back, showed us that they'd had a, a uh, anniversary celebration and showed us our Morris picture, our family picture. And uh, it was just uh, remarkable that because we were the, they were the only children that had attended American children at school. So we all actually went, did a tour, went up to the what they call their museum room, and there in the, they created one of the early classrooms. And there on the wall was my oldest daughter, full size, in a reading group on one wall. On the other wall, she's on the playground with her Korean friends. Of course, the other two were saying, oh, where are we, you know? But my, my youngest daughter always has a, a comeback for everything. She said, Mara's the only one old enough to be in a museum. But 
But anyway, that was that was Korean school, and that was their growing up. So they have a they have a different worldview, I think, and uh, and it's you know they're third culture kids, and uh, third culture kids uh, are not not American. They're not Korean. They're they're they have their own their third culture. But it's I think it's been very good for them. They've been they're faithful Christians and. Uh, uh, what to a, a, a teacher, a principal, and a social worker. So, Core Stories is a ministry of the Otter Creek Church in Brentwood, Tennessee. To find more stories, go to ottercreek.org/stories, or follow us on Instagram at Otter Creek Church.